uh, one of these pew Bibles. Page 1169 is where you will find our text for today. Um, and as you, as you look there, uh, I would encourage you to keep that Bible open or a finger in it as we go forward. Because really we're, we're looking at uh, how Paul uh, speaks through that the second chapter to really pitch us where we are at the beginning of chapter 3. So hear the reading of God's word, God's voice. From Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You pray with me. The God of Jacob is our fortress. great fulfillment of all your promises, Father, is the Son of God. Lord, please, our hearts have nothing but what you do with your word, the Spirit of your Son, and we ask for this. We ask that you would make the preaching of your word shine with its glory and be sweet and strong for our need and weakness. Deal with us as he deserves. We pitch all our seeking and hearing on him. We pray in his name. Christians, listen. The greatest gift that you carry with you each day is your baptism. Your baptism is here and now. Christian, hear this. Your baptism is God's ordinary starting point for each day you live, here and now. In the difficulties of life, your baptism is your decisive resource. In all the daily doing of your life, your baptism is your fundamental resource. Christians, listen. The greatest gift that you carry with you each day is your baptism. Christian, hear this. Your baptism is God's ordinary starting point for each day you live. Now, I suspect that no one has ever said such extravagant things to you about your baptism. I'm rather anxious that such extolling of baptism will strike you as religious mumbo-jumbo or maybe a kind of bizarre superstition that threatens to short-circuit living faith in the Lord Jesus. Please, listen, consider. Baptism is a gift and a joy here and now. 
In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul declares how your baptism exalts you with Christ and invigorates you in Christ. Paul reminds you of your baptism because he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sent his apostles to all the nations and commanded baptism for every single person gathered into his church. Here is Great Commission in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul preached this gospel. He preached the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Free grace commonly provokes scoffing. Paul's gospel was slandered as if he taught God's people that they should continue in sin. His firm and joyous reply was the gift of baptism. Here, Romans 6, 1-4. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin, excuse me, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. Christian, listen. The greatest gift that you carry with you each day is your baptism. Christian, hear this. Your baptism is God's ordinary starting point for each day you live here and now. Jesus promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age and even to the ends of the earth. His promises enfold your baptism in the here and now. In Romans 6, Paul calls believers to live godly lives. Baptism gives you the handles for grappling with that calling. As we've seen in previous sermons, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul debunks the false teaching which is threatening the believers. Baptism is the starting point of his argument. In Colossians chapter 3, he will go on to remind them of their calling to live lives of purity, truth, and love. Baptism is the foundation of that exhortation. Let's look at that starting point in Colossians 2.11. Paul begins driving off the counterfeit religion by praising the incarnate Christ and then by reminding the Colossians of their baptism. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with Christ through faith. The powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then when Paul finally reaches the climax of his attack on this false teaching, when he ridicules the foolish pretend holiness that offers only misery, he points back to their baptism. Chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? 
as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, not hand, not taste, not touch? Now, chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, when he turns to the exaltation of faith in Christ and the invigoration of faith in Christ, he again points to their baptism. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now be clear. Paul does not speak of if, because he has any, any doubt that the Colossian believers have both died with Christ and also been raised with Christ. The first chapter of this letter is delighted confidence in their salvation. Paul writes if in order to make an argument. Since you died with Christ, those regulations are a ridiculous way of life. Since you have risen with Christ, the ascended Christ is your way of life. Christ died and rose again outside the city of Jerusalem. And he rescued the world from human rebellion and the curse it carries. And these believers, some years later, and many miles away in Podunk Colossae, heard Christ preached and believed on him. By faith, his death and resurrection became theirs. And that is why they were baptized. And you, centuries later, and thousands of miles further away, and not really anywhere equate arena, you heard Christ and trusted in him. His death and resurrection are your only hope. And that is why every member of the church is baptized. No, the water is not magic. It is Christ's help for faith. The words of institution are not a powerful incantation for salvation. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These words are God's open declaration that the gospel is not only true, but it is a gift for you. The gospel gives to the believer real and cherishing communion with the living God. No matter how weak your faith is at the start or ten years later. No matter how the shocks and temptations of life distract you or entangle you with sins. You have in Christ a finished and done death and resurrection on your worst days. In, in the moments of truly stupid and ungodly religious, religious superstition, you don't need to be saved again. You just need the death and resurrection that you already have in Jesus. Paul's letter to the Colossians is a rejection of every reason and every attempt to be a good enough Christian. He calls you to live as a baptized Christian. You believe that Christ is in fact God come to rescue us from sin and the curse it rightly brings down on us. You trust in Christ not only for forgiveness of sins, but for the blessing of God. Jesus says to you, you have nothing that can claim God's blessing. The best you can have is to die and rise again somehow. I've done that for you. Jesus commands that you be baptized. So of course you'll be baptized. Paul teaches you that baptism is your sharing in Christ's death and resurrection. So faith in Christ and baptism into Christ are the inside and the outside of the Christian life. Live by faith. 
live from your baptism. This may sound very strange. I plead with you, listen to Paul reminding you of your baptism. Baptism is not just a religious ritual and respected symbol. Jesus commanded for everyone who becomes his disciple and endeavors to obey all that he commanded. Jesus does not do empty regulations. Baptism is not just the first day when they write your name in the membership book. Paul says, your baptism is as decisive in the here and now as every temptation and every good work of every single day that you live by faith in Christ. When Paul wants you free from counterfeit Christian teaching that makes up burdensome commands, that presses you down in constant discouragement, and that finally does harm to you, body and soul, he reminds you of the reality of your salvation by reminding you of your baptism. When he wants to exhort you to live a life of Christ-likeness, he reminds you of the reality of your salvation by reminding you of your baptism. This is not the standard teaching of American evangelicalism. You won't hear this on much Christian radio. Your Christian friends are likely to hear your two-sentence summary of this sermon with skepticism and maybe even concern. This is not trademark evangelicalism. This is Protestantism. This is the teaching of the Reformation. The Reformation threw away whole truckloads of Christian superstition, just dumped it in the river. The Roman church taught that there were seven sacraments, not clear in scripture, but, but stored up in church tradition. The Reformation ruthlessly insisted on scripture alone as God's voice for God's people. Your baptism is to help you every day. And this is no superstition. It is from God's word alone that I'm pleading with you. Hold on to your baptism the way Paul holds on to it. I want you to really benefit from your baptism every day. You might say I'm urging you to use your baptism in more old-fashioned language, and it's confusing to hear it first. I'm calling on you to improve your baptism. I want to be clear. This is not your minister being smart. As a Christian, I was clueless about baptism until the Reformation taught me. Now, my heart has been convinced by God's word, but it was the Westminster Confession of Faith written in the 1640s that challenged me to learn better. So I want to read to you from the Westminster Larger Catechism, part of our church statement of faith. I just want you to hear a reformed summary of what I'm declaring to you from Scripture today. This is question 167. How is baptism to be improved by us? The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others. By serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and the ends which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein. By being humble for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism, our engagements, by growing up 
for the assurance of pardon of sin and all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament. By drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace. And by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ. And to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same spirit into one body. This is long in detail. I hope you hear the echo of most, many, the things that are so glorious as you read your New Testament. I just want you to see this. The Reformation's confessions teach that baptism is to be, here and now, day in, day out, a blessing in the Christian life. Your temptations and duties and comforts and struggles as a Christian are all addressed in your baptism. You are called to live from your baptism. Now the language of the catechism may sound odd. What does it mean to improve your baptism? It does not mean to make your baptism better, to somehow enhance your baptism. You improve a house by giving it a fresh coat of paint, or adding a deck. Christ's death and resurrection for you are perfect. And the weakest faith gets all the Savior's strength. Now, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the older meaning of the verb to improve was this. To use something to good purpose. A college graduate, graduate might improve his degree in physics by getting a job with NASA. His education ended before the job, but he made good use of it by getting the job with that credential. That's improving. Now, hear Colossians 1 through 4 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If the Lord wills as I plan, we will return to these verses next Lord's Day. Once you recognize that Paul is speaking of your baptism, these glorious words of heaven and the future ring out as your bread and butter in the here and now. So just three observations are useful at the present. First, see the two commands there. Seek the things that are above and set your minds on things that are above. You do not need to be a good enough Christian. But there are wondrous things you can do that can only be done by faith in Christ. The same faith that delights in baptism. Second, you do not need to climb out of the hole of your sinfulness. You have been raised up with Christ. These things are within the reach of faith. That is baptism. Third, you don't need to fear that sin will work and work and work in your life so that only death makes sense for you. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ 
until you appear with him in glory. That's baptism. Colossians 3, 1-4, Paul is calling on you to improve your baptism. He is telling you to use your baptism for a good purpose, the holiness and the godliness. In chapter 2, he tells you to use your baptism to disentangle yourself from counterfeit religious ideas and practices. In chapter 3, he tells you to use your baptism to live a life of fidelity, truth, love, and worship. Your baptism is how faith does these things. Christ is dead and raised. You have come to faith in him. Your life is not finished, fixed, final, and fine. But your baptism into Christ is a done deal. You are dead and risen with Christ. You have been baptized into him. You can serve him and enjoy him. Even now. If you attempt to start any day as a Christian by doing the math on your actions or your thoughts or your words or your feelings, you will never add up to confidence and praise for God. You will never be a good enough Christian to trust in God's love. You are a baptized Christian. Your only hope is to die and rise again, and Christ has done that for you. Whatever else is true about you, really, however distressing it is, it rides on top of your baptism. You can really do something good with all that mess. You just put your baptism good use. Christians, listen. The greatest gift that you carry with you each day is your baptism. Your baptism is here and now. Christian, hear this. Your baptism is God's ordinary starting point for each day you live. Here and now. You've died with Christ and risen with him. His victory is yours. You are the trophy and the treasure of his glory. Pray with me. Father, you sent your son. united brought to the face of one man for the world your word in flesh and he's held out to us in this gospel Lord the depth and the height and the breadth fill our hearts and fill our community 
our relationships and our hospitality for those outside with your Son, the knowledge of Him, with a confidence. We've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we abide and live in His presence. Display these things and display His glory. Praise.